good after, good morning, I should say. I'm already in the afternoon. I hope you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I want to welcome those of you who are here at our Sugarloaf campus, those who are joining us at our Mill Creek campus, and of course, those who are watching us online. We're really glad that you're here. You know, uh, one of the things that you learn pretty early in life, even as a child, is it's really easy to underestimate the power of words. It's really easy to take for granted just how powerful the words are that come out of your mouth, and especially the words that you pray, the words that you say to God. As a matter of fact, there was a famous prayer that a man some of you may have heard of, probably haven't, but his name was Reinhold Niebuhr. He was a great theologian of the 20th century. He was a pastor. And he used to compose, sit down and write out the prayer that he would pray at the end of every service to his congregation. So he sat down at the beginning of the new year and he was trying to think about the prayer that uh, he wanted to pray. And uh, this prayer came to his mind. It wasn't particularly profound, at least it wasn't to him. As a matter of fact, he thought to himself, this is one of the most simple prayers I think I've ever written out in my life. He never dreamed that it would be reprinted in multiple places for decades and decades and decades. He never dreamed it would be the subject of a front page article in the New York Times. He never dreamed that it would be the subject of a book, a best-selling book just written this year that was based on this prayer. He never dreamed that it would be a prayer that would be prayed by tens of millions of soldiers and mourners, and anyone who's ever gone through an Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program knows this prayer very, very well. All of us probably in this room have seen it sometime on a plaque, on a piece of wood, or on a carving. It's called the Serenity Prayer, and uh, it reads like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We've all read that prayer, all probably prayed it at one time or another. And when Dr. Niebuhr wrote that prayer, he really underestimated the power of that, what that prayer really said. He really underestimated the impact that that prayer had. And yet, while I do believe it really is a great prayer, I'm just arrogant enough to think it needs a second verse. And so I would add this to that prayer. God, give me the will to decide to change the things that I can, the courage to make those changes, and the wisdom to make that, make the right changes. To make the right changes. Now, let me tell you why I want to talk about this at the beginning of a brand new year. See, really and truly, there are only two parts of life that every new year brings. We know that they're going to bring them. One thing that we know this new year is going to bring, it's going to bring things that we can't change. It's going to bring things we don't anticipate. It's going to bring things that we never dreamed would happen to us. And then it's going to bring things that we can change. So on the one hand, there, you know, life comes with a no-risk, uh, does not come with a no-risk money-back guarantee. I mean, I, I wish I could get up here this morning and guarantee every one of you here and every one of you at Mill Creek, you know, because you come to our church and because you let me be your pastor and because you really think so much of me and I think so much of you, I wish I could stand up here and guarantee you that, uh, you know, you, you won't get cancer this year, you won't lose your job this year, you won't be involved in an accident this year, and you will be alive at the end of this year. I can't guarantee any of those things to anybody, including me. There simply aren't any guarantees 
like that. There are just some things we know are going to happen to us this year. You can't change them. I can't change them. You, you, you can't change it with money. You can't change it with willpower. You can't change it with influence. There are just some things that are going to happen to us this year. There's not a thing you and I can do about it. They absolutely are unchangeable. They're inevitable, and they are going to happen. That is not the challenge we face every year. The challenge that we face every single year is, how do I confront the things in life that I can change and make the right decision about those changes. Because if you think about it, life really comes down to making decisions. I mean, that, that's what really life is all about. You are who you are right now because of the decisions that you made in the past. You have what you have today because of decisions that you made in the past. You, where are you, you are where you are in life right now because of decisions that you made in the past. Now, here's the good news. As we face a new year, and we've got to make all kinds of decisions about the things that we can change, as we face all these challenges that are going to come to us, and we can decide what we're going to do about them, the good news is you don't have to make these decisions on your own. You're not all by yourself. You're not out there on an island. In fact, matter of fact, this is where we get into trouble because if you look back on the on kind of the, 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 the big mistakes you've made in your life, I guarantee you it's because you made decisions on your own. You, you really didn't think through those decisions. Let me just give you some examples. How many of you have spent money you wish you'd never spent? You ever done that? Have you ever been like me? I used to be a sucker for these TV ads. I remember years ago, they had this thing that you would grab with both hands. It was a stomach cruncher. How many of you remember that? You may remember that? You know, you'd pull that thing in and man, you'd get six pack abs. I bought it. Didn't even tell Teresa. I just bought it. It's like $19.99. So this thing comes in the mail. It looked kind of like a cross between um, a bow and arrow and a shotgun. And Teresa said, what is that? I said, man, I said, this thing is going to give me, you know, six-pack abs. I'm telling you, it's going to work in about two weeks, you know. I pulled on that thing for a week. I pulled so hard, I broke the thing right in half. Never did get to six. I didn't get one-pack abs, much less six-pack abs, right? Well, we've all spent money we wish we had never spent. Here's another one. You ever bought a car you wish you had never bought? You know, we call them what? Lemons, right? So we've all bought cars we wish we had never bought. Here's another one. You ever made an investment you wish you never made? I've done that. I, I've made a couple of really, thank God I didn't do, a, do it with a lot of money, but I made some really foolish couple of times investments, just invested money I should not have invested. How about this one? How many of you ever entered into a relationship you wish you'd avoided? You're sitting there going, yeah, I'm in one right now. Okay, I get that, all right? Don't tell the person you're sitting next to. All right. How many of you accepted a job you wish you'd never taken? I mean, you know, I, I've had these stories so many times. You take a job, and you're not in that job two days. You know, I have made a mistake. I'm not a fit for this job. Here's the last one. How many of you put your name on a contract you wish you'd never signed? See, I promise you all of us could answer yes to one or more of those scenarios. In other words, everybody in this room can look back and we can all be honest and say, yeah, I have made some very poor decisions in my life. I have made some whoppingly bad 
decisions. Well, here's the good news for you. Today, at the beginning of a new year, we're beginning a series that we're calling Otherwise. And in this series, what I want to do is simply share with you some very uncommon wisdom for those of you out there who've tried everything, you've tried to do it your way, you've tried to make it your way, and those things just haven't worked out. Because again, there are only two types of decisions you can make. From a human perspective, we would call them good decisions and bad decisions. But from God's perspective, he would call them either foolish decisions or wise decisions. Now, if you're a parent or even a grandparent, you know that there's one thing we want our children to learn how to do. There's one thing we want our grandchildren to learn how to do. We want them to learn how to make wise decisions. Uh, I've got my grandson Harper now in a little scripture memory program, and I'm teaching him scripture. Every time he learns a scripture, I give him $5. He's so eager to learn the Bible. And so every time he learns a scripture verse, I give him $5, and he's on his four scripture verse. And I'm picking these verses out for a reason. They're, I've got a method by madness. And I'm trying to give him verses that will teach him how to relate to God, how to relate to other people, and how to make very wise decisions. I want my kids to make wise decisions. You want your kids and your grandkids to make wise decisions. Well, listen, God is the same way. God wants his children to make wise decisions. God wants his children to make good decisions. God wants us to live otherwise. So this is what I want you to take out the door as we begin this new year. The wisest decision is to seek God's wisdom for every decision. The wisest decision you'll ever make in any situation is to seek God's wisdom for every decision. Now, Nobody understands the importance of making wise decisions better than a king because a king has responsibility for so many people. And one of the greatest kings who ever lived clearly understood that principle and he made a decision that in turn made him the great king that he became. As a matter of fact, I really believe with all of my heart, he was maybe one of the two greatest kings who ever lived. And God did something for him that he will do for us. And if we will follow that king's example, example, we will know how to live otherwise and we can make decisions fit for a king. So if you brought a copy of God's Word today or a smartphone or an iPad or whatever it is you might use, I want you to go to the beginning of the Bible, go to Genesis, okay? And I want you to start turning toward the New Testament and you'll turn about eight or nine books over and you'll come to a book called 2 Chronicles, not 2 Corinthians, but 2 Chronicles. I want you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter one. And I, I wanna read an amazing story for you because in the, what we're about to read this morning, God did something for a young man by the name of Solomon he had never done before for anybody else, and he has never, ever done for anyone since. And what he does for this king is he doesn't just give him the opportunity of a lifetime. He gives them the, uh, an opportunity for all eternity. And I want you to listen to a verse and just kind of realize just what an amazing thing this was that happened. We're in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and God said to him, now just think about this. Ask what I shall give to you. Now can you imagine last night if God had come to you 
And God had said to you, ask anything, it's yours. Ask whatever you want, I will give it to you. Every time I read that story and I read that verse, it reminds me of one of my favorite stories growing up about Aladdin and the magic lamp. You remember the story about Aladdin and the magic lamp. Aladdin, you know, finds this magic lamp. You know, he rubs the lamp and the genie comes out and the genie has this power to grant any wish that he has. Have you ever fantasized about finding a lamp like that? You know, I, I think sometimes when, I'm, when we go down, go down to the beach for vacation, I take a walk on the beach or a run on the beach every morning. Sometimes I, want, I just think about, wouldn't it be great if you just kicked up a lamp out of the dirt? Just rub that lamp and a genie would come out and he could just give you any wish that, you know, you could wish for. And the old saying really is true, you better be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. I, 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 there was a story about three men, they, were, they got marooned on a desert island. They were in a boat and they were out in the ocean and the motor quit and they got washed uh, uh, far from shore and they finally got marooned on this desert island, had no way of rescue. And uh, so they were walking around the island and, and one of them kicked up this lamp. So he rubbed it, well this genie pops out. And the genie looked and he said, I'm gonna give each one of you one wish. Well, the first man said, Man, I wish I was just back in my office in Boston. Poof, he was gone back there. He looked at the second man. He said, what do you want? He said, man, I, I wish I was back home in my living room with my family watching sports. And boom, he was back in his living room with his family watching sports. He looked at the last man and he said, what do you want? The man thought about it. He said, man, I, I'm so lonely here by myself. I wish my buddies were back with me. Now, you, you got to be careful what you wish for because you may get what you want. But see, here's the problem. The problem with wishing is we know that genies don't exist. And we know that magic lamps don't exist. Here's the good news. God does exist. And God is more powerful than any genie. And believe it or not, any wish you bring to God that is in the will of God, God will grant you that wish. Let me say that again. Any wish that you bring to God that is in the will of God, God will grant you that wish and it will become a reality. And in this instance, with this young king, what he wished became a reality. Now, here's, here's what's incredible to me. God goes to Solomon and he asks the most amazing question that an infinite God could ever ask a finite human being. Here's what he says. Listen to it again. He says, ask what I shall give to you. Now think about what happened. Solomon had just been given carte blanche by the creator of the universe. For the only time in recorded history, God said to a human being, name it and claim it. It's yours. Whatever you want. I'm not putting any conditions on it whatsoever. There's no fine print in the contract. Contract. Whatever comes out of your mouth next is exactly what I am going to give to you. Now, this is what also is kind of blows me away about this story. Scholars tell us that when this happened to Solomon, he was about 20 years old. Now, think about what you would have asked for if you'd been 20 years old. I mean, I remember what I was like when I was 20 years old. An egotistical person would have asked for fame. A materialistic person would have asked for wealth. A, an ambitious person would have asked for power. And I'll bet you if every one of us in this room were gut level honest and God came to you without any warning, didn't give you any time to think about it, and you didn't know this story, if God had come to you last night and God had said to you, 
you ask me for anything and I will give it to you, I'll bet you every request in this room would have fallen under one of those three categories. I want more power, <clears throat> I want more money or wealth, and I want more fame. Well, here's this 20-year-old kid that just started shaving, and I want you to listen to how he responds. Give me now wisdom. I just can't get over that. Give me now wisdom. And God gave Solomon something more valuable than wealth, more satisfying than fame, more exhilarating than power. He gave Solomon the wisdom that he asked for. Now, let me just stop right there. You're sitting there and you're saying, well, I'm not even sure some of the old stories in the Old Testament really happened. This story kind of, kind of sounds far-fetched, but let's just say that I believe what the Bible says happened really happened. Let me just say, I'll just kind of humor you for a moment. Okay, I believe Solomon really had this dream, and I really believe God gave this to Solomon, and God said this to Solomon. What has that got to do with me? Simply this. What God did for Solomon, God will do for you. What God offered Solomon, God offers to you. What God gave to Solomon, God will give to you. As a matter of fact, as we read exactly how Solomon responded, we're going to glean some incredible principles that can help us make the rest of our life the best of our life. I don't know about you, but every year I begin a new year, I have really one overarching goal, just one. Now, I've got a, little, a lot of goals under that, but I've got one goal. I want this year to be the best year I've ever lived because this may be the last year I'll ever live. So every year I start off on January the 1st and I'll always say, Lord, show me how I can make this year the best year I have ever lived. And the way you do that is by living otherwise and making wise decisions. So you say, okay, I'm all in because I'll be honest, the way I've been doing it is not working out too well for me. How can I live otherwise? How can I get this wisdom that we're talking about today? There are three simple things you got to do. Same thing Solomon did. You ready? Number one, you got to admit you need it. That's step one. You've got to admit that you need it. Now, I'm still pretty impressed that this 20-year-old man, I mean, you think about it, when I was 20, I was like most 20 years old, uh, most 20 years old. I mean, when I was 20 years old, can I be honest? I really thought I knew it all. I really did. You know, I, I, I graduated from college when I was, when I was 20, and, and, and nobody in my <clears throat> family ever had a college degree. And so I kind of thought, you know, I've got, to be, I've got a degree from college. I kind of knew it all. I you know, really thought I did. And here's this 20-year-old guy, and he's wise enough to know he's not wise enough. He's wise enough to know I don't know it all. I'm wise enough to realize I'm not wise enough to do what I need to do and to be what I need to be. Now, remember, if you go back and read this story, Solomon had just been inaugurated. He hadn't even moved his office furniture in yet. He, he hadn't even selected his cabinet. He's just getting started, but he already realizes as a king, something's missing from my resume. I don't have the wisdom to do what I need to do. And if I don't get it, I'm going to be a spectacular failure. I'll never be able to follow in my dad's footsteps if I don't get this wisdom. So he says this in verse 10. Give me now wisdom 
and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. Because here's the question he, he was asking. Who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Now, remember, Solomon was not a dummy. He was highly educated. He was highly literate. Many of you may know he went on to become a prolific writer. Growing up, he watched his dad, David, who probably was the greatest king who ever lived. So he had all the experience of watching his dad, David, and watched how he had done such a tremendous job governing. Furthermore, he was not only his dad's choice to be the king, he was the people's choice to be the king. He was already very popular. He had a 100% approval rating. But yet, with all that going for Solomon, he was still humble enough to realize two things. Number one, I don't have what it takes to make the kind of wise decisions I'm going to have to make if I'm going to be the king these people need to be. Number two, God's got it. I don't have it, but God's got it. As a matter of fact, later on as an older man, Solomon wrote a book, many of you are familiar with this, called Proverbs. And, and it's a letter that he wrote to his son on how to live a life of wisdom, how to live otherwise. And he advises his son to do what he did, and that is to admit that he needed wisdom. And he reminds his son of this. He said, son, it's the Lord that gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So I just want to say this. The first step, first step to living otherwise is to have the wisdom that you need to make wise decisions is to understand I need wisdom on my own, by myself. I don't have the wisdom that it takes to make the best decision and the wise decisions in all the things I'm going to face this year. Benjamin Franklin put it this way. He said, the doorstep to the temple of wisdom is the knowledge of your own ignorance. It's true. Once you admit you need wisdom, you have to also admit that only God is the source of wisdom. Think about this. Why did Solomon ask God for wisdom? Because Solomon knew something. You don't get wisdom in a college. You don't get wisdom in university. You don't get wisdom just by reading a book. You don't get, get wisdom just by living life. Solomon understood only God has real wisdom. As a matter of fact, let me tell you this. God's wisdom is so far above human wisdom, it makes human wisdom look like foolishness. The apostle Paul said something interesting about God's wisdom when he said this. Listen to this. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Now think about that. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. Now, let me put it to you this way. Let's just say that God was capable of a stupid thought. Now, we know God's not capable of a stupid thought, but just kind of, kind of play with me for a minute. Let's just assume that God is capable of a stupid thought. If God were capable of a stupid thought, that stupid thought would still be wiser than the wisest thought any of us could come up with. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying that's how wise God is and how stupid we are. You say, that offends me. That just makes you more stupid. <laughs> because if you're wise, you'll realize the wisdom 
of that statement. See, here's our problem. So often the reason why we make bad decisions is because we are so arrogant and we're too arrogant to admit that we need to ask for advice both from God and from others who are wiser than we are. And let me tell you, just admitting that you need wisdom, just admitting that you need godly advice will save you from a lot of heartache. It really will. Uh, there was a golfer, some of you may know this uh, guy, probably you don't, but there was a golfer that played back in the 1950s, a great golfer. His name was Tommy Bolt. And Tommy Bolt was a great golfer. His only problem was he had a volcanic temper, just a hair-trigger temper. Well, one of the advantages of being a professional golfer is you have a caddy. And a caddy doesn't just carry your clubs. A caddy is there to give you advice and to help you make the, the best decision about the wisest, uh, or the wisest decision about the best shot that you can make. And that's why I love this story. Tommy Bolt was playing in this tournament. And as I told you, he had a big, just had a terrible temper. Well, the, the first day of this tournament, he just played terrible. He just played lousy. And he was so mad, he blamed his caddy. He said he thought it was his caddy's fault that he played so bad. And so the next day for the second round, he, he said to his caddy, he was still mad. He said, I played so bad because it was your fault. You didn't give me good advice. You didn't tell me about the right club to hit. It was all your fault. It really wasn't. But he was just trying to take it out on his caddy. So he said to his caddy, he said, I don't want you to say one word to me today, not one. Don't say a word. Don't give me any advice. I don't want to know anything that you're thinking. You just give me the club I asked for. And he said, okay. Well, he goes to the first tee, and he hits his first tee shot, and it comes to rest right behind a tree. Well, he looked at his caddy, and he said, uh, do, you, do you think I ought to hit a five iron? And about the time he said, thought that, uh, said that, he said, wait a minute. I don't want to hear from you. You don't know what you're talking about. Don't say a word to me. He just took a five iron out of the bag, and he hits this incredible shot. Don't know how he did it, but he hits this incredible shot, hooks it around the tree, it rolls up the fairway, and it lands on the green. He turns to his caddy, and he said, okay, I feel better now. You can say something. He said, wasn't that a great shot? What did you think about that shot? And the caddy just looked at him and said, uh, Tommy, that wasn't your ball. <laughs> See, so often we think we pulled off something great and it doesn't work out for us. And the reason why it doesn't work out for us is because we didn't stop and say, Lord, what should I do in this situation? Give me the wisdom to make the right decision. And let me just be honest with you. God does not waste his time giving wisdom to people who already think they know it all. So if you're one of those people, if you think I really don't need God's help, here's the good news or the bad news for you. Don't worry, God will not give it to you. The only person that God gives wisdom to is the person who will admit, I don't know Enough. See, here's our problem. We've got just enough knowledge to make stupid decisions, but we don't have the wisdom it takes to make wise decisions. So what do we do? We just keep making the same foolish decisions over and over and over. And it's a wise person who admits, I'm not wise enough to think otherwise. Number one, you've got to admit that you need it. Number two, you got to ask for it. You just got to ask for it. I mean, Solomon's request was to the point pretty bold. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, give me now wisdom 
and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. Now, let me just show you something here. This is kind of cool. <clears throat> There's a reason why he asked for wisdom first and knowledge second. He didn't say, give me knowledge and wisdom. He was very specific. He said, give me wisdom and knowledge. Now you say, well, why is that so important? Why is that such a big deal? You can have a lot of knowledge, but have very little wisdom. But if you've got a lot of wisdom, you will have a lot of knowledge. And there's a tremendous difference between wisdom and knowledge. And if you don't believe that, just look at the country we're living in right now. Just look at the world that we're living in right now. We're living in a world that is drowning in knowledge, but it's starving for wisdom. I mean, the amount of knowledge we have at our fingertips today, think about it, has led to a phenomenon that people now call information overload. This, this blew me away when I read this. Human knowledge is doubling every 13 months. That means at the end of 2015, we will know twice as much as we knew at the end of 2014. The information that you can read online in a newspaper, listen to this, the information you can read online in one daily newspaper is more information than a person living in the 17th century would have had in their lifetime. We'll read more and learn more in a day from a newspaper than a person in the 17th century would learn in a lifetime. We know more right now <coughs> than we've ever known. And yet, some of the most knowledgeable people in Washington, D.C. tell us we have to pass thousands of pages of legislation before we can find out what's in it. Now, there's a Greek word for that, stupid. It's just stupid. Drowning in knowledge, starving for wisdom. And if we've ever learned anything, we ought to learn knowledge is no substitute for wisdom. In fact, somebody put it this way. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many people know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool, but to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. And understand that the reason that Solomon asked for wisdom first and then knowledge is wisdom is simply the ability to take the knowledge that we gain and use that knowledge to make wise decisions that would be best for us and best for the people that are impacted by that decision or those decisions. That's why employees need a wise boss. That's why churches need a wise pastor. That's why children need wise parents. That's why people need wise leaders. And one of the marks of wisdom is being wise enough to realize that knowledge alone is not enough to make wise decisions. Wisdom is knowing there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Let me give you an example. Knowledge is knowing that tomatoes are fruits. Did you know that? Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. 
Big difference. Yeah, tomato's a fruit. Don't put it in a fruit salad. One is knowledge. One is wisdom. Now, here's the point. You can do exactly what Solomon did. Anytime you want wisdom, you can ask for it. You don't have to be a king to need wisdom. You don't have to be a king to get wisdom. The same deal that God made with Solomon, he will make with you. As a matter of fact, about 800 years after Solomon's dream came true, the brother of Jesus wrote these words, and he probably had Solomon in mind when he wrote them. <clears throat> if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generally to all without reproach, and it will be given him. My friend Andy Stanley wrote a great book. You ought to get it if you're not read it. It's called The Best Question Ever. Andy said the best question ever is this. What is the wise thing to do? Now, God's made a promise. God said, look, every time you find yourself in a situation, you're not sure what to do. You're not sure which door to go through. You're not sure which path to take. You're not sure which decision to make. He says, if you will ask me for wisdom, I will give it to you. If you will ask that question, what is the wise thing to do here, Lord? I will answer it. So step one, you got to admit you need it. Step two, you got to ask for it. But this last step is the big one. You got to apply it. And see, this is where so many of us get in trouble. You remember those bad decisions I told you about earlier, you know, buying cars you shouldn't have bought, spending money you shouldn't have spent, entering a relationship you should have never gotten into, signing a contract you never should have signed? <clears throat> Looking back on those decisions, let me ask you this. How many times did you know the wise thing to do, you just didn't do it? The problem was not that you didn't ask for it. That wasn't the problem. You did. The problem was not that you didn't admit you needed it. You did. But then when God spoke to you or somebody gave you wise advice, you just didn't apply it. See, you can admit you need wisdom, but wisdom won't do you any good, and you'll still make foolish decisions if you don't apply the wisdom that you have. That's why I want you to understand something. Wisdom is not some abstract knowledge that you keep in your head. Wisdom is practical action that you take with your hands, because Solomon went on to write this about wisdom. He said to his son, turn your ear to wisdom. Now watch this, and applying your heart to understanding. Wisdom is more than intellectual knowledge. It is practical, hands-on living. That word for apply in the Hebrew literally means to extend. It means to hold out. In other words, Solomon said, son, wisdom is something you apply to every area of your life. You apply it to the way you handle your money. You apply it to the way you handle your spouse. You apply it to the way you handle your job. You apply it to the way you handle your children. You apply it to the way you handle temptation. You apply it to the way you handle relationships. Wisdom is very practical. It is the way you live hands-on. Solomon did not ask God to make him smart enough to make a living. He said, God, make me wise enough to make a life. How many people do you live? How many people live in your neighborhood? I've got them in mine. Well, they're smart enough to make a living, but they're not wise enough to make a life. By the way, 
the Hebrew word for wisdom, chokmah is the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word literally means skill. And it's often used in the Bible to describe people who are skilled in working with their hands. See, God gives you wisdom not so much so that you can show other people how much you know. That's not why God gives you wisdom. God gives you wisdom so that you can live in a way that other people see how to live. God wants to give you wisdom so that you will live otherwise. Now, that brings me to the definition of wisdom. Wisdom is seeing life through the eyes of God and living life in the will of God. Let me repeat that. Wisdom is seeing life through the eyes of God and living life in the will of God. Now, we're going to answer the $64,000 question. So where do you find that wisdom? And how do you discern this will? All right, here's the good news. You ready? God's will and God's wisdom is found in God's word. God's wisdom and God's will is found in God's word. So let me just say this right off the bat. If you want to make this year your best year, if you want to maximize your wise decisions and minimize your foolish decisions, every day you get into God's Word. Every day. It is amazing to me. It blows me away. I begin every day of my life reading God's Word. That's just a habit I acquired when I was a kid. And, and it has nothing to do with me being a pastor. I did it long before God called me to the ministry. And every day of my life, I begin reading God's Word. It is amazing to me amazing to me how often I'll read God's Word and there's a verse or there's a passage in there and it will be something that I needed to apply to my life that day. Here's a good example. You probably can tell I've been fighting, a, a, not a, I guess it's a cold or whatever. I just got this, you know, some of you probably have the same thing. I'm not contagious. Of course, at least my doctor says I'm not. Don't kiss me, but I'm not contagious. <clears throat> but I got some congestion. I just can't seem to knock it out. It's caused a little hoarseness in my voice. I feel fine from the neck up, feel great. I'm a wreck up from the neck up, okay? Neck down, feel fine. Well, so last night, we've got a, uh, some, some folks coming over to our house tonight. So I did two weddings yesterday. Believe it or not, I did two weddings yesterday. I did more weddings in a day I'll do in a year, but I did two yesterday. One was downtown Atlanta. Didn't get back till 8 o'clock at night, and I wasn't really feeling all that hot. Just kind of wanted to go to bed. And Tree said, no, you got to help me straighten up the house. You, you got you know, we got company coming and you got to help me straighten up the house. And so she said, I said, okay, what do you want me to do? She said, I want you to vacuum the stairs. We got stairs leading down to our basement. So I want you to vacuum the stairs. Well, I, I didn't want to do it. I was kind of having a little pity party. You know, I'm sniffling and I'm coughing and I just don't really feel well. And so I'm, I'm trying to, I, I, I wanted to really say, let Harper do it. Harper's never learned how to vacuum. He was at, let Harper do it. I remember reading in Philippians where it said, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Now, I'm not going to say to you that God's wisdom is always pleasant because it's not. In fact, there are times you just want to say, with all respect, God, would you just mind your own business? But I knew I'd read that that morning and I said, you know what? Just do what you're asked. You don't feel like doing it. That's okay. It's got to get done. You got to help her. So you got to do it. It is amazing how many times you'll get into God's word and you'll realize 
you read something that very day that you could apply to your life. See, here, here's the point I want you to understand. This is what I want to ask you to do. This is your homework for the rest of the year. Beginning today, before you make any big decision, and most decisions are big, before you make any big decision, I want you to write down this question, and I want you to ask this question. Here's the question. What does God's Word say about the wisdom of this decision, and what would God's will have me do? What does God's Word say about the wisdom of this decision, and what would God's will have me do? Now, that question will not do you any good if you're not in God's Word, because you won't know what God's Word says. So make it a point, okay, this is where God's wisdom is, this is where God's will is to be found, this is the one resource that will help me make wise decisions. So every day I'm going to get into this book and I'm going to search this book and I'm all going to always ask this question. What does God's word say about the wisdom of this decision and what would God's will have me to do? There's an old saying that goes like this. There's a choice you make in everything you do and you must always keep in mind the choice you make makes you. That's so true. There's a choice you make in everything you do, and you must always keep in mind the choice you make makes you. Who you are today, what you will be tomorrow, the influence and legacy that you leave behind after you're gone will come down to the decisions you make in life every single day. And every time you make a decision, it will always be in one of two categories, wise or foolish, good are bad. Now, here's what we're going to do. going to give you a big favor. Over the next several weeks, we're going to cover some of the primary major areas of life that require decisions that will impact your health and your happiness on a daily basis. For example, here's one, how you manage your time. That's going to affect the quality of life that you live every day, not just this year, every day, how you manage your time. Here's another one. How you handle your money going to have a big effect on your happiness, big effect on your marriage, big effect on your ability to obey God in the area of giving, how you handle your money, how you deal with temptation this year could determine whether or not you lose your marriage or keep it, lose your job or keep it, lose your health or keep it, even lose your life or keep it. So what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to say, okay, so how do you live otherwise in the area of managing your time? How do you live otherwise in the area of managing your money? How do you live otherwise in the area of managing temptation? Because remember, every time you make a decision, God makes it plain, it will be a wise decision or a foolish decision. So let me kind of wrap up and just remind you of something. One thing we all know and if you don't know it, you have to learn it the hard way. There are consequences to every decision that we make in life, right? Every decision. There's no such thing as a decision that does not have a consequence. Every decision that you make has a consequence. Now, here's the difference. The difference is consequences have a back-end price. Wisdom has a front-end price. Let me explain. Wisdom 
teaches you the lesson before you make the mistake. Got it? Wisdom teaches you the lesson before you make the mistake. Consequences demand you make the mistake first, then it teaches you the lesson. So here's a good illustration. Wisdom puts a fence at the top of the cliff. Consequences put you in the hospital after you go over the cliff. Got it? So you can either exercise wisdom on the front end this year or you can suffer the consequences on the back end this year. The key to making this year your best year is to exercise and apply wisdom at the front end. So here's the question I'm just going to ask every one of you in this room. Assuming we're all going to be alive and we're going to live all year long, the question is, so how are you going to live your 2015? How are you going to live this coming year? How are you going to live the rest of your life? Because let's face it, you know what every day is, right? It's one decision after another. That's what life is every day. One decision after another. And every time you make a decision, it'll either be a wise decision or it will be a foolish decision. You'll either either suffer the consequences of a foolish decision or you'll enjoy the fruits and the blessing of a wise decision. That's why I want to close with this. It puts the gospel in a whole new light. What I've talked about today puts the cross of Jesus in a whole new light. Let me tell you what I mean. If Jesus Christ was the Son of God, if Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life, if Jesus Christ died on a cross, if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, if Jesus Christ is alive right now, then the wisest decision you will ever make in this life is to give your life to Jesus Christ. And when you do, he lives in you to help you make wise decisions so that you can live otherwise. Let's pray together.